This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have at this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on the podcast this week is Greg Johnson, CEO of Invoca. The problem with these more complex products and services is oftentimes people start the purchase journey in digital, but they end up, you know, getting consultative advice as part of the buying process. And the problem for a marketer is once you escalate out of the digital channel to these human-to-human conversational channels, typically marketers haven't been able to understand the impact of their marketing investments on that human-to-human conversation. As I like to say, you know, if you have your best friend and you tell them all your secrets and the things that you're really worried about in life and then two weeks later they show up and they don't remember any of that information, they're probably not going to be your best friend for very long. Really what we do from a technology point of view is try to help bridge that gap between what happens in the digital world and then what happens in the conversational interactions between a consumer and the representatives of a brand. This is Greg. He's a seasoned SaaS executive with a passion for building and bringing to market products in emerging categories. He led Salesforce Marketing Cloud social marketing product line, where he integrated 1 billion of M&A investments into the Salesforce product portfolio. Prior to that, he drove product strategy and development for Salesforce Chatter, helping define the category of enterprise social networking. Earlier in his career, Greg was a consultant at Boston Consulting Group, and he worked in sales, marketing, and product roles at several startups. He graduated from Stanford University, and he holds a master's degree from the Johnson Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. And besides that, he has an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. Greg joined Invoca as the CEO in 2017, and under his leadership, the company has experienced multiple X growth. In 2019, the software report ranked Greg to be the number three on the list of top 25 growth leaders. Meanwhile, Invoca won multiple industry awards, such as the Best Cold Tracking Platform Award, Artificial Intelligence Excellence Award, and the Hot Vendor Award in Conversational Intelligence. And this triggered me. And hence I invited Greg to my podcast. We explored a growing challenge for many brands to live up to their customers' expectations and grow trust in a world that's increasingly digital, but where human interaction is a critical component as well. We also discussed Greg's experiences in successfully scaling his company while growing their ability to help their customers make a meaningful difference. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things 
Firstly, that a critical way to look at your company is not only how you're solving a meaningful problem for your customers, but also how your customers perceive you as a company. Secondly, how to accelerate momentum by smartly adjusting make, buy or partner decisions based on the different market conditions, but also where you are in your product market fit lifecycle. Thirdly, how to use communication as a weapon to grow alignment, motivation and trust inside your business. Mastering this will give you surprising insights and levels of engagement. And lastly, that the biggest tailwind you can have is with customers that are excited about what you've done for them and their business. So hi, Greg. Thank you very much for making the time available on your busy schedule and being a guest on my podcast today. Oh, my pleasure. Always fun to talk about technology and trends and where things are going. Yes, exactly. And that's what we're definitely going to do because in my homework, what your company is doing, I got pretty impressed with the things that you're doing and the impact that you're making. But before we start on that, always a little bit of a thing about kind of the people, the person that I have on the phone. They want to know kind of your whole history, but what drives you on a day-to-day basis or as a person? Yeah. So for me, one of the things that I'm most passionate about is, is really learning and exploring ideas and learning new things. So I you know, ended up in technology almost, I hate to admit, randomly, but I, I studied international relations when I was in college and thought I was going to go into U.S. State Department and serve overseas and ended up through various means and ends trying out the world of business after school and just really enjoyed the idea of learning new industries, about learning new technologies and where things were going And that was really has been kind of the driver in my career. So I worked both at really small software companies in the late 90s and the early 2000s in the Bay Area. I worked in management consulting where I had the benefit of working with some, you know, very large and well-established technology companies. And then probably the formative experience in my career was spending 10 years at Salesforce from 2007 to 2016. Yeah. where I got to work on a variety of different products and just learn a whole lot of new things is, you know, cloud computing, cloud computing went from being something that nobody really understood to being the, you know, the predominant business model in the software industry. And exactly. so, yeah, that was ultimately what drove my decision to join Invoca in 2016 is I, I felt like there were some things that I wanted to learn, some skills that I wanted to develop that, you know, I'd be better suited doing those in a relatively smaller company as opposed to, you know, the, a company the size of Salesforce, which was probably 25,000 people uh, left. I can completely agree with that. Yeah, it's funny. I actually wrote a blog, I mean, a blog where I featured Salesforce typically with what they are for and what they are against. I mean, that whole, that whole story around no software. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that you bring it up in one week, Salesforce coming by in two different flavors. Yeah. So leaving Salesforce, starting Invoca in 2016, what is the big idea behind Invoca? Yeah. And so just to be clear, I joined Invoca. The company was actually founded in early 2009. So the company had definitely achieved product market fit, had some really great customers and, and was really thinking about how to, how to drive more scale into the business and kind of take the business to the next level, which is where I felt like my experience from my time at Salesforce really helped. The idea behind Invoca is really this idea that in today's world with you know richer technology and digital transformation that there's still a place for human-to-human interaction as part of the consumer experience. And so what we really try to do is connect the customer experience through digital with the customer experience 
that happens when you know consumers want to reach out to an advisor or an expert for help typically is part of the buying process. And mm-hmm. so if I think about industries with relatively complex products, so think about healthcare or mortgage and lending or insurance or telecommunications, oftentimes we as consumers, we start researching and finding these products through you know, digital platforms like Google and Facebook. We explore information about the brands on the website, but these are important enough decisions where we want to be really, really confident that we're making the right decision, that we've gotten the right product or service for us. Oftentimes these decisions, if you think about you know, mortgages, healthcare, insurance, they affect not only ourselves, but our families. And so having, having confidence that you're buying the right product is really important. And so what we do at Invoca is, is we work to kind of bring together the, the digital experience that you may have through a website or through a digital advertising platform together with, with that consultative part of the buying process that typically happens when you, you speak to an expert advisor who might be a local mortgage agent or might be, you know, an, yeah. an expert on healthcare or something like that. Yeah. What always triggers me, and I mean, the reason why I started my podcast in the first place is exactly what you're talking about, the magic and the, the value that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Yep. Talk about what you just told me, and I, I absolutely see that. There's absolutely this ever ongoing need that humans need to step in and be that that interface to a customer but what is the problem that we're solving here what why was there nothing in the marketplace available to solve what you're solving yeah well let me i'll start at a very tactical level and some of the problems that we solve and then i'll speak to the broader industry and the trends that we see so Uh i think at a tactical level we work very closely with marketers we work with marketers at some of the most well-known brands in the U.S. and Canada in terms of consumer-facing industries. So, for example, in telecommunications, we work with Dish Networks and Healthcare. We work with a company called University Hospitals out of Ohio, financial services, companies like SunTrust Banks. And the marketers at those companies, here's the challenge they have. It's when they spend money on digital advertising to help reach new customers, and those customers do sort of a conversion or purchase action online, like opening a new bank account or something like that, the marketer can track the impact of how they invest their digital marketing dollars very clearly because where they spend their money is on digital advertising and where they make their money is through an e-commerce or digital interaction, like opening a bank account or buying a good on Amazon. The problem with these more complex products and services is oftentimes people start the purchase journey in digital, but they end up, you know, getting consultative advice as part of the buying process. And so, for example, I like to think about myself. I live in San Francisco. For those of us who live in Northern California, when you get your first mortgage and you buy your first piece of real estate, it's one of the most important financial decisions you make in your life. And so, you know, when I went with my wife to buy our first first home, I could do the research online to figure out what type of product I wanted. I could compare and contrast, you know, the difference between getting a 10-year adjustable rate mortgage and a 30-year fixed. But what I couldn't figure out was what were all the steps I needed to go through the process to close my mortgage and how confident was I that that mortgage was going to close in time and that my wife and I were going to be able to move into the house that we'd set our hopes and dreams on. And so that meant I went from looking and researching information online to calling a mortgage agent and really being able to work with them to understand the process and make sure I was doing all the right things. And the problem for a marketer is once you escalate out of the digital channel to these human to human conversational channels, 
typically marketers haven't been able to understand the impact of their marketing investments on that human to human conversation. And as important, they can't take the insights from that human to human conversation and then reflect that back in every future interaction that the brand they work for has with you. Mm -hmm. And so, as I like to say, you know, if you have your best friend and you tell them all of your secrets and the things that you're really worried about in life. And then two weeks later they show up and they don't remember any of that information. They're probably not going to be your best friend for very long. And so it's the same thing. You know, when I speak with a consultant, a broker, an advisor in any one of these industries, my expectation as a customer is that that, you know, institutional knowledge is saved and, and is reflected in all my future interactions. So Really what we do from a technology point of view is try to help bridge that gap between what happens in the digital world and then what happens in the conversational interactions between a consumer and the representatives of a brand. Yeah. And so one of the things that I saw from one of the reports is that, well, you're kind of quoted as a leader in call tracking. So do I understand well that you actually, you're listening into the calls and and get all the information out of those calls and that they record it? Well, there are two steps to what we do. So the first step is to what we do is when someone is online and reaches out to a brand and calls a brand to have a conversation and figure out what's the right product or service for them, we will present instead of a generic 1-800 number, a universally applicable number, we'll generate a number on the fly that is specific to that individual. And that helps the brand understand which digital touch points drove that incoming call. And we'll do integrations with downstream systems like an order management system from an SAP or a CRM system like a Salesforce or a digital experience platform like Adobe to help understand the outcome of that call. And did somebody buy the good they were interested in or not? If they bought, how much was it worth? And then feed that data back to the marketer in order to help them understand when they invest dollars in digital marketing tactic A and digital marketing tactic B, which one of those two tactics is driving more successful sales and outcomes with customers. And then we have an add-on product in the conversational analytics world that customers can use to, in real time, record the call, parse through the call, understand the human-to-human conversation, and then digitize key insights so that the outcomes of that conversation are sort of stored in the institutional knowledge that that brand has of their customer so that they can, they can tailor everything that they do thereafter. For me, what's interesting is, you know, we've kind of gone from this extreme, I would say 10 years ago before the age of digital transformation, you have this problem where everybody, if they wanted to do anything with a brand, they had to do it through a person. If you wanted to check the bank account balance at your bank, you had to do it through a person. If you wanted to execute, you know, a trade on the stock exchange, you had to do that through a person. If you wanted to buy an airline ticket, you had to do that through a person. And I think we all appreciate and love the fact that we can do so many of those things today digitally. And not only can we do them digitally with these amazing, you know, computers we carry in our pockets every day called Android devices and iPhones, we can do them anywhere, anytime. And that's great. I think what people have forgotten to some degree or overlooked or over-rotated against is, you know, how in certain situations access to, you know, an expert, an advisor, a source of reassurance can be an important part of the customer experience. And so I think certainly what we're looking to do is to help brands understand that, you know, I want to do everything that I want to do on a self-service basis 
But when I really have that need for help, that need for advice, that need for perspective, there are times when having a conversation with somebody who has that deep expertise is really valuable. Yeah. And at the end, also, that's, that's how you, you free those people up as well. So you exactly. Get, you get the best of, you get the best of both best worlds. Of both worlds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand that part. Okay. So, so what is the opportunity if you get that part right? I mean, customers that use your solution, what do they see as an end result of this? Yeah, I mean, I think what it really helps is there's a very highly quantitative benefit to what we do. And then there is a very important qualitative benefit to what we do. So on the quantitative part, the customers that we work with, marketers get really excited because it gives them a data-based feedback loop of which marketing and advertising initiatives are working well versus which aren't. So if you look at the shift that's happened in the world of marketing over the past decade where a lot of advertising investments have moved from offline vehicles like you know, radio, print, out-of-home, TV, to digital advertising. One of the main reasons they've done that is because digital advertising gives you so much rich data about outcomes. There's the very famous saying in the marketing industry of John Wanamaker, which is, you know, half of my advertising works and half doesn't. The problem is I don't know which half is which. Um, <laughs> And that's what's really beautiful about digital advertising as long as you have a digital outcome. And so what we're really trying to do is we're trying to, to bring those offline outcomes into the digital advertising world so that every marketer can benefit from that. And so quantitatively, customers get really excited about working with Invoca because they can use that data to immediately see the impact they're having on the revenue generating activities of their business and they can use that data to optimize their choices and usually see, you know, 15, 20, 25% improvement in efficiency on their digital advertising spend. So that's great for us. It's always easier to work with customers with software deployments where there are very clear returns on investment and everything is very quantitative. So that, that definitely helps. I think on the qualitative side, what people see that's harder to quantify but helps lead to these moments of delight and surprise for their customers is the idea that you can make the experience better. And yeah. so, for example, we work with an insurance company both in the U.S. and in Canada. In, in Canada, one of the things that we'll do is we'll look at the data based on what type of ad that someone clicked on or which web page they looked at. And we'll automatically discern, is this somebody calling from Toronto who's interested in speaking to somebody in English? Or is this someone who's clicked on an ad and looked at a web page in French, and perhaps they live in Montreal or Quebec and they want to speak to somebody who's French? And so we'll take that data in real time and help connect them to you know, the appropriate agent, whether they're French speaking or English speaking, in a geography near where the customer is. And so you avoid these problems of going through multiple prompts on an IVR, getting transferred from agent to agent. And really, there we're focused on how do we deliver a great experience to that consumer in the most efficient way possible. And to your point, using things like the conversational AI so that the agent who is talking to the customer doesn't have to spend their time focusing on writing notes and capturing every detail of the conversation. They can really focus their time on answering the person's questions, giving them all the information that they need. And the technology can take care of a lot of the more mundane work of, of distilling the key moments in the conversation, the key insights they need to record in their institutional knowledge. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. So interesting. So these two benefits, I mean, I always like the non-tangible benefits because at the end, that's where feeling comes in place as well. And that's also a very big driver for making investments. 
So talking about the, the journey that the product has made in the, in the, well, in the last, what is it, since 2009 it was founded, 10 years now. What do you believe are the, the things or the thing that you did that, that made the product yeah, deliver the value and made it remarkable as a product? Yeah, you know, one of the things that impressed me most when I was thinking about joining Invoke was some of the early decisions we made on technology. And my background is in product management. So, you know, for me, when I look at companies, the two things that I'm really looking at to understand the strength of the company is the core competitive differentiation of the product. Exactly. And then the problem that you're solving for the customer and the customer's perception of you as a company. And one of the things that really impressed me when I was first speaking to Invoca, and I think has reaped benefits for years and years and years, was that we built the entire product in the cloud from day one. And I, and I know today, your reaction to that is, well, of course you do that. That's how you build <laughs> well, software. But in 2009, that was not an obvious choice. True. And so we happened to, to build our product in the core stack of Amazon Web Services and over the years, we've, we've also used the Google Cloud for redundancy and for some other capabilities as well. And so I think for us, you know, one of the things that differentiates good companies from great companies is the great companies really understand and focus on what they are uniquely enabled to do, where they can really, truly differentiate. Let me make a small interruption here. Greg just made an excellent remark about what separates good companies from great companies. And that's their ability to focus on what they are uniquely able to do. It's indeed a key trait of a remarkable software company. I discuss this at length in chapter 7 of my book, The Remarkable Effect. Focusing on the essence not only helps you to set yourself apart from the start, but it will also help you to continue to do so. It will help you become extremely resourceful. And with that, ready to be always one step ahead in good times and bad times. So if you want to know how your company scores on this particular trait, simply do the test. It's anonymous and you can find it on valueinspiration.com slash remarkable index. Back to the interview. And so for us, I've always been impressed how our engineering team has had a very discerning eye on which things do we need to go build that we can be truly great at. And if we're not going to be truly great differentiated on, how can we partner with people? And so early on in those days, we decided to build in the cloud. That was a decision that was made far before I joined. So it's no credit to me, but that's something that has reaped benefits in our agility, our ability to deploy at scale. Because if you think about what we do, you know, in a way we are a cash register for the customers that we work with, the brands that we work with. We're almost like a Shopify, you know, e-commerce type of company because every conversation that's happening between a consumer and one of our brands ultimately yeah. is aimed towards driving revenue. And so, you know, real-time availability and enterprise scale and all those things are incredibly important for us. Another area where that came in, and again, a very far-sighted decision from the engineering team, is as we started doing work on analyzing the human-to-human conversation, this is probably in 2013 or 2014, before Amazon Alexa, before Google Home Assistant, before all those things that you know, we as consumers take for granted every day, the team decided, you know what, there are lots of people that are focused very heavily on building speech-to-text transcription. And instead of trying to compete with those people and, and replace what they're building, we're just gonna continually leverage what's best in the market and add our unique value on the artificial intelligence and the machine learning on top of that transcription. Mark. 
And so, yeah, I just, I've been really impressed with how the engineering team has, has really focused on what can we do that is unique and different and look to partners and, and other places. Yeah. I mean, in my book, I did dedicate a full chapter on that, which is about, you know, focus on the essence and the end. Yep. That exact is, is what it's all about. How do you decide as a company where you put your resources? Because there's always an argument from people that are passionate about the product that they can do it themselves. Yep. And a prototype is easily made in half an afternoon. But my God, the moment it doesn't add to that, to that real differentiation, you can just yeah drain your resources and uh, end up with a mediocre product so it's that's extremely important to have a team that, that takes care of that yeah and i think and i think you know it's important to continually evaluate these decisions exactly and things may change like i give an example of a company i was really impressed with a few years ago which is dropbox which i think we all know and, and use as consumers and you know dropbox had leveraged a third party cloud provider for storage for the first probably six or seven years of their life. And once they reached a level of scale, I think they made this change as they were about to go public. But clearly by that time, they had reached a level of scale where, you know, it was clear there was product market fit. It was clear the consumers loved their product. The question was not anymore, you know, can we deliver a product that consumers love? The question was, can we deliver a product that consumers love at, a level of financial economics that make good sense for our business. And so you saw this dramatic change where Dropbox actually brought a lot of that storage capability in house. And if you, if you go back and you look at the financials, I think this transition happened. You might have to look at their S one from the year before they went public, but I have never worked at Dropbox. I don't know any people engineering at Dropbox, but you could see in their financials, their gross margin went from, I want to say like the mid forties to the mid sixties because they completely refactored how they were doing storage and brought some of that stuff in house to build. And so I'm not close enough to critique from a technical point of view, whether that was the right decision or the wrong decision. But what I was impressed by was sort of the ability to go back and revisit those decisions over time. And we've done similar things ourselves. We introduced kind of the next iteration of our machine learning product about two, two and a half years ago. And we were using some cloud-based technology to do that. And after we did it for a while and we felt like we had good fit in terms of how customers were using it, we were ready to scale it up. We actually brought some of those things in-house because we felt like we could do some, some elements of the product that were differentiated if we were essentially running those on our own technology rather than using partner technology. So I think having the intellectual flexibility to, yeah. to, I'm going to go back to my first thing, to learn <laughs> and to adjust to different market conditions and different spots where you are in the product market fit life cycle, I think is really important too, because your business changes over time. So do you have a certain framework for this? I mean, and how often do you reflect on this? Is it annually? Is it biannually? Is it maybe release by release? I wouldn't say it's release by release. I would say... You know, annual planning is a good forcing function to step out of the day-to-day, kind of the the day-to-day tactical view of your business and revisit some of these assumptions. I think think having sort of a checkpoint when you start to see clear signs that you have a product working with customers. And, you know, I think they're almost sort of two distinct phases. I'm sure there are more, but I think of them as at least two distinct phases and the life cycle of a product, when you introduce a new product, what you're really 
trying to do is you're trying to show that a you're solving a valuable problem and, and, and b that you're doing it in a consistent reliable way and i think when you're when you're at that stage you want to build enough depth in the product to make sure that it addresses the customer needs that you have and some of those things but you're really trying to figure out is it solving a problem that's worthwhile yeah. and then once you've done that and you start to transition to how do i scale up the number of customers that i can solve this problem for i think that's a good point to to sort of take a step back and revisit and say, okay, you know, now that I know that this is the problem that I want to solve, do I go back and revisit how I solve that problem? And I think oftentimes for engineers, you immediately want to jump into the most robust way to solve a problem. But as we're thinking about new products, one of the things I often remind our engineering team, as I said, you know, if I look at the different sources of risk around a new product, part of it, there are different elements of that risk. There is number one, can we build a product that actually solves what we think is a problem. And given the track record of our engineering team, I have a very high level of confidence that they can build products successfully. Number two is, is the problem that we're trying to solve actually a meaningful problem to solve? You know, there are lots of problems to solve for customers out there in the world. Some of them are worth solving. Some of them aren't. There are products, I've joked around internally, there are products that we've thought about building that frankly, I'm willing to give away to existing customers to get feedback from them on those, but I don't want to give them away out of the gate. I want to pretend that I'm going to charge the customer for that product until the very end of the decision-making process, because I want to see if they're willing to pay for that product. And that's super important for me in addition to getting your feedback. And then the third piece of it is once you've got a product built that solves a problem and you validated that that problem is worth solving, then you've got the sales and marketing problem of, can I go out and find customers efficiently who have that problem? And you have to think about all three of those distinct phases together. Can I build the product? Can I be convinced that the product is worth building? And if I build the product, can I get it out to market in a way that's efficient? You kind of have to iterate across all three of those elements simultaneously and not spend all this time building the perfect product that's absolutely bulletproof only to find that it's not valuable to anyone and you have to go to Antarctica to find customers that are willing to buy it. And, and, and so you got to have that loop and all those things have to work together. And I think engineers always want to focus on, can we build a product that solves this problem? And they tend to ignore those other two things, which is, is the problem worth solving? And can I find people who have that problem cost efficiently? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the indicator, if it's worth, if it's worth solving, that's already a very good one. Because very often we don't even ask that question. We just think yeah. okay, this is a cool thing to solve. And then... Yeah, it goes flat. Well, talking about that, that particular part around sales, what's holding you back when it comes to, to growth and momentum? Or how do yeah. you solve that particular challenge? Yeah, I, I, think, I think what's interesting there is you, you have to find the broad level tailwinds behind your business that you can fit into your narrative and what you do. And so, for example, at Invoke, I think of really two or three broad level trends in the market that we are attached to that, that help our business, that help us find people that are interested in, in solving the problems we solve. Number one, most clearly, is the continued shift of advertising dollars from offline advertising to online digital advertising. So the digital advertising market this year will be over $400 billion. Certainly, there have been some changes in the market over the past year or two. I think everybody, especially in the US and, and also given the way that, that Europe tends to lead the world in thinking about privacy and individual security and things like that. Clearly, the world of digital advertising is, is undergoing some changes in how we think about security and privacy. 
but even despite those changes, you know, the digital advertising businesses at Facebook and Google and, and all the rest of the digital players continue to grow at a very healthy clip. So if marketers are spending money on digital advertising and they want to make sure they get the best bang for their buck, to use that aphorism, that is a good tailwind for us because we're going to help those digital marketers be more efficient in how they spend their digital advertising dollars. Yeah. Number two, I would say, is the focus on customer experience, which you know very well. You know, executives are thinking about digital transformation. They're thinking about how do they differentiate on experience. And so our ability to tie together those digital interactions and those conversational interactions is definitely another thing that we think about. And then third is really everything that's happening around voice and conversational analytics. The idea that you can, you know, in an automated way, distill key insights from conversations and free up humans from... You know, in my world, when I started at CRM, CRM at Salesforce, Salesforce in a way was, was almost a big, you know, I hate to call it this, almost a big note-taking application, right? Like you would go in and you would, you know, you'd have a meeting with a customer and you'd go in and add your notes about what happened and you'd advance the opportunity to the next stage or you would move the case forward a stage. And so, you know, really I think where the world of not only CRM, the customer experience is going is how do we, in an automated way, distill these key insights from the human-to-human conversation and, and let people focus on the human connection, which is really important? So, you know, if you look across all these different industries, from CRM to unified communications and platforms like Zoom and Cisco, you know, every single one of these platforms is starting to build in capabilities around understanding human-to-human conversation in an automated way so that people can focus on making that people connection, which is really invaluable. So between digital advertising, customer experience, and kind of the rise of conversational analytics and voice, we think those are three broad, interesting trends for executives and businesses that we can tie our business to. Interesting. Yeah, and I agree with that. Those tailwinds are very important. It's funny enough, I mean, the book that I wrote, The Remarkable Effect, is the, the red, the storyline throughout the book is one of my passions, big wave surfing. Yeah. And that's exactly also a sort of an, a connection I make through the book to get that push behind you. And now you're yeah. talking about it in a di- just in a different way. But when, when multiple forces join, that's where, yeah, there's momentum, that momentum can really happen. And that's a very important thing to look out for. Yeah. Interesting. So you're talking about learnings, and you, you mentioned that in the beginning, the whole learning factor. From the things that you've done so far with the company, you've been there for, by 2016, you started three years. Yeah. Um, what are the bigger challenges or the biggest challenge to overcome in that period? You know, I think one of the things that really surprised me is how important communication is in a company. And... I honestly, I really thought I understood this even before coming to Invoca because coming from a product management background, you know, you'll understand this having been in this discipline yourself too. Product managers are the boss of no one, right? Like developers don't work for you. Marketing doesn't work for you. Sales doesn't work for you. Customer success doesn't work for you. Nobody works for you. Designers don't work for you. The only way you can get things done is by motivating people, is by communication. And and so I'm a very big believer in the more context you give people on the types of problems that you're trying to solve, the better job they will do in solving them. And I learned that when I was a product manager, because the more I could help a developer, an engineer, a UX designer really understand what we were trying to do for the customer, the better job they would do. 
true. And I would also say that, you know, this is something that the executive team at Salesforce and Mark Benioff especially is really, really good at, really good at. So Mark has a process that he developed when he left Oracle to come to Salesforce around communicating the values of the company, the vision of the company, the business priorities of the company that he calls the V2 mom. It's well documented. I won't try to explain it. There are lots of good references on the web to help you understand it. But, you know, Mark's emphasis at Salesforce was, I'm going to put it all out there for our employees. Like, this is a, you know, two-page sheet of paper with our entire company strategy on it. I'm going to put it out there so that everybody can understand what we're trying to do. And so when I came to Invoca, I really, that was a point of emphasis for me, and I thought I really understood it. I'm continually surprised how important communication is and how much you have to repeat things. I think... Part of this, this is the downside of my interest in learning. I always want to try new things. And so, you know, my wife and I will go out to a restaurant. If she orders a dish I'm interested in, I don't want to order the same dish that she ordered. I want to order something else so I can try two dishes. So I have a really hard, I have a really hard time internally saying the same thing over again and over again and over again and over again. And I've learned that's the only way that people hear it. You know, I can't remember the stat. I think it's something like people have to hear something five or six times before it's really ingrained. And so I spend a lot of time communicating, like we do a monthly all hands. I post notes in Slack every Friday about what customers I've seen, what partners I've seen. I'm sure this week I'll be telling everybody about how we got to speak on your podcast, but I always want to move on to the next thing. And I've realized that you really have to be consistent in your messaging, both externally and even internally, because people don't read everything, people don't see everything, people don't hear everything. And even if they do, it doesn't get fully absorbed unless you repeat it. And so I think for me, that's been a huge, huge learning is that it's not just about frequency of communication. It's about consistency of communication. And, you know, as boring as it might be, you have to repeat things again and again and again for people to fully absorb them. And that's something that I just didn't fully appreciate before I took on the job. Yeah, and the most important thing at the end is also, do they understand what you do they hear Completely. what you're saying? Do they get Completely. the same meaning out of it? Yeah. Completely. And I, and I try really hard, like as a CEO, you know, I try to make myself as approachable as possible. We have, we have about 230 employees spread across three offices in remote locations. And so when I visit any of our other offices in Denver, Santa Barbara, I try to take people out for coffee. I'll go by and say hello to people and I'll do all these things to try to make sure that people feel comfortable talking to me. But the reality is that because I'm a CEO, there is a level of intimidation based on my title where people oftentimes don't want to say things to me. And so I think the other thing you have to be very cognizant of is you have to work really, really hard to make those barriers as low as possible so that people feel comfortable sharing feedback with you. And oftentimes, I don't think employees fully understand this when I'll chat with them. They'll say, thank you so much for talking with me. And I always say, thank you for talking with me. (laughs) You know, like, you know, as an executive, it's very easy to get caught in your headquarters ivory tower and not have an understanding of what's happening in the business on a day-to-day basis. And so you have to try really hard to make sure that people feel comfortable telling you the good news and the bad news, because ultimately it's those insights that frontline employees have that are building products or dealing with customers or out in the marketplace like those are the real insights that help you move the business forward and it's hard to get access to those. So I've, I've tried really hard to work at that. Wise advice. I mean, I, you've already answered a couple of questions I was going to ask beyond this. So that's, I can leave it for now. So one, one more question about the, well, actually the result of the business. What have you, 
What is an anecdote that you're most proud of achieving so far with Invoca? Again, this has nothing to do with myself, but I'll tell you, it is, it is one of the things I'm most proud of. So as a technologist, as you know, somebody who spent their formative career in product management, I think it's always easy when you think about what makes you as a company unique and different to focus on technology. And so, you know, I, I did when I joined Invoca what, you know, the CEO handbook says to do. I went out and spent my first 60 to 90 days talking to a bunch of customers and asking them why they bought product from us. And the first answer that I consistently got did not surprise me at all. As people said, you have amazing, innovative technology. And the second answer that I got really surprised me is that people said, we buy you because of the people and the service you deliver and the passion you have for making us successful. And now that I've been here three years, I've really come to appreciate that more. I think when you work in a technology company, it's very easy to forget that people don't just buy you for technology, that they buy you for your expertise, for your can-do spirit, for your level of commitment to them as a customer, especially in a SaaS company, where you know really what you're trying to do is you're trying to help a customer deliver outcomes, and you're working with them arm-in-arm arm on that. And so that was one of the things that makes me, I'm a people person, so it makes me really happy to hear people say, I buy from you because of your people and the hard work they put in every day. And so now it's one thing that I really try to emphasize in the company is, you know, there are two things that are really important in the service that we deliver to, to customers. It's our technology and it's our service. It's, you know, not just how quickly can we address a support case or how deeply do we listen to the customer? Or it's how do we bring best practices and knowledge of the best way to, to leverage our technology and the ecosystem around us. And that combination of technology plus human capability is really what helps set technology companies apart. I think that's really, really critical. And again, in a, in a world obsessed with technology and digital transformation, it's easy to forget the human element. And so that's something that I see not only being really important in our customers' businesses and the way that we're trying to help them, but even in our own business and how do we really differentiate and, and help make that human connection to help our customers drive their business forward. Yeah, I think it's, it's that flywheel of the combination of the two. As a company, you know what you're solving and you know what, what is the change that you try to create in the marketplace that excites the people that work for you, that enables them to do the things that, that they need to do. And customers are seeing that. Yeah. So what is next for you? What is your biggest aspiration for the next 12 to 24 months? I think for me, you know, we're at a stage where I tell people all the time, like if we go make customers successful, everything else will take care of itself. Right. You know, when I joined the company, the reason that I did it is I had been fortunate to be part of a world-class enterprise software company, a company, you know, at Salesforce that kind of has defined the cloud computing era. And I wanted to go have an opportunity to try and create that same type of company with other people. And so that for me, my North Star is, you know, how do we at Invoca create a world-class enterprise software company? And, and, and the way to do that is really through helping make customers successful, especially in an emerging market where people are learning about your product and service, like the biggest tailwind that you can have is customers who are excited about what you've done for them in their business. And so that for us is a big focus. And so, you know, my favorite part of every week is when I get to hop on video conference or hop on a plane and go see a customer and think about interesting new ways of helping customers with their businesses. And so that for me is something that, that I gets me up in the morning and keeps me up late at night and keeps me super energized all, all hours in between. Well, that's the right, the right order also in terms of, I mean, I like the drive you have. I mean, if the customer at the end gets the value and they are talking about that, 
because it's remarkable, it's worth making a remark about, as I often say, then the rest will follow automatically. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of times companies forget about it. Well, thank you very much. So where can people go to find out more about Invoca or to say hi to you? Yeah, it's great. So on the web, you can find us at www.invoca.com. It's I-N-V-O-C-A.com. And I would say look for us. We're at a lot of industry events around digital marketing and customer experience. So we'll be at Adobe Summit in Las Vegas in late March and other events like that over the course of the year. So feel free to drop us a line. You can also reach me at CEO at Invoca.com. I love talking about kind of market trends and things that are happening, especially around this interplay of digital interactions and human interactions. And so I'm based in downtown San Francisco. If folks are ever in town, happy to grab a coffee and explore ideas. And likewise, look forward to meet you in person one day. I aspire to be a big wave surfer one day. I have to limit myself to the small to medium waves at this point in time, but uh, one day I'll make it your way. No, no, I'm not a big wave surfer. I'm a fan of it. I was, I, lo- I love to watch it. <laughs> okay, got it. That I can do. I can, exactly. I can sit, I can sit on the beach at Nazares and watch and watch big wave surfing with the best of them. But don't put me out there. No, no, no. Me neither. No, no. So yeah. Well, thank you very much. It was. I learned a lot, and that's always a good thing. And I hope my audience have enjoyed it as much as I did. Good. Well, thank you very much for having me, and look forward to the opportunity to do it again sometime. Will for sure do. Thank you very much. Now, let me turn myself to you as a listener now. If you have any questions or if you have any thoughts about this episode that I did with Greg, please share it. And if you like it and got inspired by it, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Greg Johnson, CEO of Invoca. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. 
Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.